This morning's scripture reading comes from a selection of passages from Acts and 1 Corinthians about and from the Apostle Paul. You can follow along on the screen. Hear the word of the Lord. Acts 9, 3-6. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now, get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Acts eleven twenty five and 26. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So, for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Acts 13, 6 through 9. And afterward, they traveled from town to town across the entire island until finally they reached Paphos, where they met a Jewish sorcerer, a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He had attached himself to the governor, Sergius Paulus, who was an intelligent man. The governor invited Barnabas and Saul to visit him, for he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, as his name meant in Greek, interfered and urged the governor to pay no attention to what Barnabas and Saul said. He was trying to keep the governor from believing. Saul, also known as Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he looked the sorcerer in the eye. 1 Corinthians 9, 19-25 Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 through 11, 1. So, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Erica. Well, good morning. Um, I'm Danny. Like Josh said, I'm one of the pastors here, and my main focus is international student ministry. Um, 
And we just finished a sermon series on Ruth, and Pastor Lawrence will be starting a new sermon series next week on 1 Peter. So this is one of those unique Sundays where I can preach on any topic in the entire Bible. So that's kind of fun. And being that I'm a campus pastor to international students, I wanted to preach on something that is close to my heart in reaching and loving others with the good news of Jesus Christ. Um, So I want everybody to look on the screen and tell me if uh, this means anything to you, what you see up on the screen. Does that mean anything to anybody in this room? That is my Chinese name. So this is a plaque my friends made for me. Uh, The middle character is very unique, so even if you speak Chinese and you're from China, that might be a a unique one. And um, I gave this name to myself. The first character is Kong, like Confucius. Uh, it's It's a last name, a Chinese surname. The middle character is a unique one. It's Dan, but like Danny. And the last character is Ni. And go to the next slide. So more commonly, my name would be Dani, because Don is how you translate in Chinese. Don is how you would translate that first, that middle character would be Don, and the second character would be Ni, and that's like the universal phonetic translation. But I think one of them means like red, and one means like a Buddhist nun. So it didn't really have a cool name. So I went with this. So the Kong is like Confucius. That's his family name. The Don, so Lao Tzu, the other great Chinese philosopher other than Confucius, his other name is Lao Don, so I gave myself the this Don, and Confucius's other name is Zhong Ni. This makes no sense to you who have no idea anything about Chinese culture, but after sitting around for hours and hours, probably not paying attention in my Chinese class, I came up with this name, and now I have a Chinese name, so when I go to China, it means something. To people there. When I say my name is Danny, if someone is fluent in English, if they're a university student, they understand my American name, my English name. But for many others, I have to use this name, particularly uh, the one I just showed you, so that they, I can speak to people. When, they, when I fill out a form, they say, what's your name? Now, what does this mean to you? So this is my, my given name. What can you tell about me from that? My first name is an English name, right? Uh, It's a biblical name. My last name is probably from what culture? Anybody can guess? It's very, very Italian. Uh, The junior means I'm named after my father. I don't have a middle name, which is very unique. My dad was a twin, and my grandmother didn't realize it. I don't know how you could not know you're carrying around two. And she named one Joseph and one Daniel and was going to give them middle names later, and she never got around to it. So my dad, I was born as a junior and my dad just gave me the same name. The nurse told him that if I had a middle name, I wouldn't be officially a junior, which I don't know how nurses know the law or anything. But so he didn't give me a middle name, which became very, very confusing because when I went to register, when I went to vote for the presidential election of 1996 or 2000, I got pulled over and they said, you already voted this morning. And they tried to, uh, call me for voter fraud because my dad had voted and we had the same name. So don't name your kid. If you have no middle name, don't name your kid the same name because it could cause a lot of problems on their credit report or voting record in the future. All right. So now let's look at my birth certificate. That's mine. What does it say about me? It says where I was born, where I, you know, I was born in, it says Miami, Florida, uh, where my parents were born, what their names are. Um, next, next slide. 
This is my son Derek's birth certificate. Very different. He was actually born in China. Um, what does this say about him? Well, notice they use English, write, English letters in the midst of the Chinese birth certificate. Next slide. Derek actually has two birth certificates because the State Department gave him one too. So when, I, when we register him for school, I don't show him that Chinese one. It means nothing to them. I show them this one because this is technically his official birth certificate. Um, so, and you might be wondering right now, can Derek run for president? Yes, he can one day because he's officially, because of that piece of paper, he can. So Derek could be president one day. I know some of you are worried about that. So, so we've talked about names and my name, what it means, and what, what I did when I moved to another culture. Um, but now I want us to think about the Apostle Paul. I'll put one of the you know, fam older paintings from history. Uh, I don't know if that's what he looked like, but he looks pretty serious guy carrying around the scrolls. Um, what do you think his birth certificate said? What language would his official documents have been in? What, what was his legal name? A couple of weeks ago, we were in a sermon series about encounters with Jesus in Mark's gospel. Um, and I preached a sermon called Encounters with Peter. You can, you can go back and listen to it if you'd like in the podcast, uh, sermon podcast channel. Uh, but as I was preaching the sermon, I made a statement. And I said, the only time in the New Testament God changes someone's name is when Jesus looks at Simon and says, you're going to be called Cephas, which is Aramaic, or Peter in Greek. And... Um, Basically, Jesus changes Peter's name to a word that means rock. And I was told later that during the sermon, one of my children turned to my wife and said, what about Saul? Doesn't God change his name to Paul? And in her defense, there's a popular children's Bible by a well-known publisher that actually says God changes Paul's, Saul's to Paul, that God did it. Uh, and some of you might have thought the same thing. And my goal here this morning is not to get you to burn all the children's Bibles. Actually, children's Bibles are good and helpful for us as parents and teachers and others to teach our children. And I hope after this sermon, you buy a stack of children's Bibles to go hand out in your neighborhood. So I'm not against children's Bibles. There's some great ones out there. But, but this is a common thing you might have heard growing up or you might have just thought. So my goal isn't to focus on, on the errors that might exist around it. My goal for this sermon is for us to look at Paul's life and his missionary methods through examining why Paul is called Saul from Acts 7 to 13. And then when Saul and Barnabas go to Cyprus, does he begin to use the name Paul? Uh, so I'll start with this point. Jesus does not change Paul's name. In Acts 9, when Jesus meets Paul on the road to Damascus, he calls him Saul and never Paul. This is confirmed and when Paul recounts the event in Acts chapter 22 and in Acts chapter 26. So let's look at Acts chapter 9. This is an amazing story. This is where the Lord Jesus, the incarnate God, the risen Savior, meets Paul on the road to Damascus. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell on the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. So Jesus refers to him as Saul, his Jewish name. Then in Acts chapter 11, for a whole year of ministry to mostly Jewish people in Antioch, Luke continues to call him Saul. The, the scripture references up there. We read, Erica read it a few minutes ago. So Paul is called Saul 
during the entire ministry period while he is in and around Aramaic-speaking people. Even though the Jewish Bible was written in Hebrew, by this time in history, Aramaic, which is a Near Eastern language, became kind of the main language of the Palestine region, and that's what Jesus spoke and the early disciples would have spoken. And um, when Paul is in those regions, he uses the name Saul. Uh, the name change actually happens in Acts 13 when Paul and Barnabas visit the island of Cyprus. So let's look at Acts 13. Afterward, they traveled from town to town and crossed the entire island until finally they reached Paphos, where they met a Jewish sorcerer. And then it, it goes on and it says, this Jewish sorcerer attached himself. He kind of like really tried to win favor of the governor, Sergius Paulus, a Roman governor. Very Roman name. No, even notice the name Paulus is in his name. It's not the same exact, uh, the, the beginning part is the same in Greek. The Paulus, Paul's name in Greek is actually like Paulos, but it's similar to this name. Now, some people would say, well, maybe Paul chose to go Saul to Paul because of this, but most scholars think that's not true. Paul just, his, his born name, his Latin and Greek name that he was born with as a Roman citizen was Paulus, and it probably had a few other names too. And maybe even Saul was on the end of it because he was Jewish. So Paul goes and, and Paul and Barnabas go on this trip, and then if you look at verse 9, it says, Saul, also known as Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he looked the sorcerer in the eye. And he, so what's going on here? I wish this morning I had time to teach you about Paul and, Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas' encounter with the sorcerer. This is an amazing story about the power of the Holy Spirit over evil. Um, but for this sermon, I'm focusing on why Paul begins to use Paul instead of Saul. And th at this point in Luke's historical record is when it happens. So what's going on? So where is Cyprus? Where are they? Um, and how'd they get there? So if we go back a little bit to Acts chapter 13, verse 2, it says, while they were worshiping the Lord, this is the community in Antioch, and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, notice it's still using his name as Saul, for the work which I have called them. So after that, after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So the church in Antioch sends them to Cyprus by the power of prayer and fasting. And if you read later, even it says the Holy Spirit kind of guide, guides them where to go. Now let's look at the map of Cyprus. So... I put two maps up here. One is you can, you can see Jerusalem, on the, the one on the right, Jerusalem's down on the bottom. Tarsus is Paul's hometown. That's the city on the top that's connected by the lines. And Antioch is the other city to, a little to the right. So it's hard to see, but you can tell Jerusalem down there in Judea, Antioch, Tarsus. Um, and then you see Cyprus is an island off to the side. And there's two sides of Cyprus. And Paul, go, they go completely across the island to the other side. That's where the Holy Spirit leads them and they end up encountering the governor of the region. Um, so what would Cyprus be? It'd be very Greek. Uh, it has a Roman governor. It's actually Barnabas's home, too. It's where Barnabas grew up. Um, I have a friend. We just went to Boston and visited some old friends, and uh, a friend of ours, actually her church, they went on a mission trip to Cyprus. Cyprus, to this day, is a divided island. Does anybody know what two groups of people inhabit the island? What two ethnicities? Greeks and Turks. Yes. So it's originally, if you, know, if you know anything about the history of Turkey, like the Turkish people 
came over more from Central Asia and invaded what, is, what was the bigger, larger Greece. Well, the island of Cyprus is still a divided island to this day, and it still has a huge Greek influence, and it has a, a Muslim influence with the Turks who have moved there and inhabited the island. So they're on this island, Cyprus. They encounter the Roman governor, and then from this point on, Luke the historian, and in all Paul's letters, what, they refer to Paul, Saul, as Paul. Um, now, where does Paul go after this? So him and Barnabas are sent. Now, what is, what is Acts chapter 13 to 28 about? Let's look at four maps real quickly. So this first map is the Roman Empire. This is the Roman Empire. This, is, this goes on a couple of years after Paul, but it just kind of shows you how much they conquered over time. This, this map ends probably around 300 A.D. But you see, you see how big it is. Next, next slide. So here's Paul's first and second missionary journeys. He goes throughout the eastern part of the empire, through all these Greek-speaking regions. Then the next slide. This is Paul's third missionary journey. He, he continues on. Next slide. Paul actually goes to Rome, partly because he's arrested and he's on trial and he ends up in Rome. So Paul makes it all the way to Rome. And if you follow Acts chapter 13 to 28, this is basically what it's about. It's about the early Christians spreading the good news throughout the Roman world. Um, this is what Paul does until he dies. He is called by Jesus to be a light to the Gentiles. And by Gentiles, it's those who are non-Jews, the people of the Roman world that are not Jewish. Paul is called by God to do that. So what do we know about Paul himself? Um, put that cool picture up again. So Paul was a Jewish leader a high-ranking Pharisee. His parents could chase their lineage back to Benjamin. Here's what Paul says about himself, about his Jewish heritage. In Romans 1, I mean 11, 1, he says, I'm an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. And it, King Saul is also from the tribe of Benjamin. Maybe that's why his parents chose that as his Hebrew name. Uh, in Philippians 3.5, he says, Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. But he's also from Tarsus, a very Roman city. Tarsus was geographically not too far from Israel, but culturally it was very, very far. Uh, look at these two photos. This is called the Gate of Cleopatra. It's still in, in modern Turkey today. You can go visit it. And uh, when you go, you can, next slide shows just how thick it is. Now, this wall has been rebuilt, uh, this gate. But this is supposedly the point that, where the entry point where Mark Antony meets Cleopatra to form this alliance. Because in the ancient Roman world, Mark Antony and Octavian were kind of in a, in a, a battle for power. And his alliance with Cleopatra is here. So you see, Paul grows up in this very, very... Greco-Roman city. He didn't grow up in a Hebrew area. He does end up in Jerusalem. He gets trained. But Paul grows up in this Roman city. Paul would have been brought up speaking Hebrew and Aramaic as a Jewish boy and Greek and possibly even Latin as a citizen of Tarsus. Paul had the highest education a Jewish person could get. Right? I mean, he got to go to Jerusalem. He got to be a Pharisee. So his parents obviously had some money and some influence, and he, he was a really sharp guy. Um, in addition to all this, Paul was also born a Roman citizen. New Testament scholar ben, Worthing, ben Worthington says this, 
Apparently, Jews were not often granted Roman citizenship. So we, so we may surmise that Paul's family must have provided some service to the empire to be granted this status. Perhaps they made tents for the Roman army. Paul's Roman citizenship ensures him free access to the whole Mediterranean and beyond, and sometimes protected him from local injustices and prejudices. Uh, his citizenship may account for his somewhat positive view of the Roman Empire and its system of justice. In any case, he took advantage of Roman roads, Roman justice, and Roman order once he, become, once he had become a missionary for Christ. So in Acts chapter 9, we see that Paul, a Pharisee, a guy who's persecuting and literally killing Christians, trying to get rid of this new sect that follows Jesus, meets Jesus on the road. Jesus meets Paul on the road. And he doesn't change his name, but he changes his heart and his mission. Paul recounts the story later on in Acts chapter 26. Here's what he says. Jesus says, I am, I am Jesus who you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up. And stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and a witness of what you have seen and what you will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. This is what Jesus says when he meets Paul. He's called to be a light to the Gentiles, to turn people from, from darkness to light. Paul himself needed to be turned from darkness to light. So with the new heart and a new mission, Saul, the Jewish Christian, goes to be a light of Jesus in the Roman world. So why the name change? Why not just stick with Saul? Um... I believe the answer can be seen in a very well-known, a couple well-known passages found in Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth. You've probably read these many times. They're really powerful, really important. It says, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I become like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I become like one under the law. And then in verse 22, To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. And then he continues on uh, in verse 22, sorry. To the weak, I become weak. To win the weak, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessing. This is Paul's message. Now, the context of this is the church is questioning some of Paul's methods. In Corinth, they're kind of questioning Paul and he's defending his methods. And he basically says, I do all things because I want, as many, I want to honor Christ and I want as many people to know Christ. And then he goes on in chapter 10, he says in verse 31, So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God. Even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. You see how Paul keeps going back to this? He's like, these, I'm, I'm not doing these things just because I want to, because they make me feel good. He probably would rather just be in his Jewish context. Paul gets shipwrecked, beaten, abandoned, persecuted. He, he has a hard life because he chooses to love people and tell them the gospel and point them to Christ. 
But he's saying, all these things I do, from changing my name to eating foods that I would have never eaten as a Jew to hanging around people that I never would have hung around as a Jew, I'm following the example of Christ because I love these people and I want them to hear the good news. And i got to be with them. they got to know that I really care about them and I really love them. So Paul uses the name Saul when he's near the Aramaic-speaking people. But when he goes to these Greek-speaking regions... He uses his Greek name. He becomes all things to all people to give them the best opportunity to hear the good news about Jesus. The name Saul, Saulos in, in Greek would have been common in Jewish circles, but in, in Greek it would have been a very strange word. It actually is... Um, when I, when I, it's, it, would, it just would have sounded weird, and I'll explain what it means, but when I was an international student in China... There were some students who gave themselves very strange English names. Like, these are real English names. Erica was the English teacher. There was a student, his English name was Sia. S-E-E-Y-A. <laughs> Another student gave himself the English name Little Fat because his Chinese name was Xiaopong, so he, he just wanted to be, his Chinese nickname, so he wanted to be Little Fat. Another guy gave him the name Abraham Lincoln. And my favorite one of all, Saltmaker. I have no idea. <laughs> And he did become a believer, so that's kind of cool. So, um, salt maker. So, see ya, little fat Abraham Lincoln and salt maker. So, it was really hard to have a conversation. So, sometimes we would, some of the Americans, like I'd be talking to them and they'd be like, oh, Abraham Lincoln came by to see you today. Like, this is a true story. Or, salt maker, you should have heard what salt maker said in class today or whatever. You know, so... So we, we had a joke with it, but it, it was a little bit distracting. So when Paul entered a room, in many Greek circles, if he used his, his uh, Hebrew name, uh, he would have had a similar problem. It would have sounded strange. It might have even taken away from the message. In Greek, solos meant a provocative way for a woman to walk. like Almost like how a prostitute would walk, some, some uh, dictionary said. Um, so that would have been a little hard name to have. You know, it, would, it wouldn't have been silly like Saltmaker or Abraham Lincoln. It would, it would have been distracting. So most scholars believe that part of why Paul does this is just because he doesn't want to distract from the message. And he wants to show that he can relate to them. That even though he's Jewish, he's entering into their world to love them. Um, and Paulos would have likely have been Paul's official name. It would have probably been on his birth certificate, his, his documents. And one other important thing to note, this is really important, is in Latin, so I keep going back and forth from Greek to Latin. So do you all know in that region, um, the Greeks conquered first. So Greek became kind of the common language of the whole region. Then the Romans began to conquer. They spoke Latin, but they had to kind of keep Greek because that language was already well established. Now they borrow a lot of words from each other, so... Probably Paul's name in Greek and Latin would have been almost the same. But Paul's name in Latin, Paulos, means little. And I believe, I honestly believe, he kept the name because he wanted to remember that in God's sight he was small. He wanted to stay humble. He wanted to be the least of the apostles. He wanted to be the one who boasts in his weakness. So I thought the name fits him. Just like this name, when I chose this name, I, I really wanted Confucius and, and um, Lao Tzu, I wanted their names to be in my name, not because I, you know, I, I wanted to show my Chinese friends that I really do appreciate their culture. And I really did study their culture too. 
that I didn't just come and want to say my way is right and your way isn't. So I really, this was a thoughtful name that I felt like fit my personality and fit like things that I wanted to do. So it really was thoughtful. And I truly believe that Paul thought, oh man, what a great name. My name means little or small. And since when I moved from Paul to Saul, I have become weak. I have become small so that Christ can increase. I can't confirm that, but I actually had a seminary professor who believed that. He really, really believed that Paul liked the name because it, it, it always reminded him of his status in Christ, that he was small so that Christ could increase. So in the use of his, um, of his Greek name, we see one way Paul becomes all things to all people so that by all possible means he might save some. He did everything he could to reach the Greek-speaking people with the good news of Jesus Christ, starting with using this Greek name. One thing I want to make clear, that Paul, what Paul is not implying in, these, in the 1 Corinthians 9 and 10 passage, Paul is not saying we should change the truth of Scripture or the gospel message to relate to people. There's a misconception out there. That's, that's not what this means. Being all things to all people doesn't mean changing the gospel. Paul, in Galatians, Paul says, even if an angel comes and tells you a different message than I preach, don't listen to him. Contextualizing the way we relate to others and contextualizing the way we share the gospel with them never involves changing the truth of Scripture or the gospel message. We're not called to change the gospel to tell people what they think they want to hear, but we're called to share the truth of God's Word and the good news of Jesus Christ. That is what people need to hear. I'm going to repeat that. We're not called to change the gospel to tell people what they think they want to hear. Like a, a child says, they want to hear, for dinner, you can have candy. To quote Pastor Lawrence, Josiah could have Skittles and Doritos for dinner. You know, but that's what they want to hear. But what a child needs to hear is, for dinner, you need to have meat and vegetables. And maybe for dessert, you can have a little, a little bit of candy. We're not called to, to change the gospel to tell people what we want to hear. We're called to point them to Christ, to give them the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, because that's what they need to hear. They need to hear that Jesus came and died and rose again. We as Christians often talk about the second coming of Christ, but most of the world doesn't even know he came the first time. That's our, that's our mission, to let them know that Jesus came and dwelt among us. God, the God of the universe, who could have just destroyed us, didn't. He came in love and dwelled among us and made himself nothing and died so that we could be made free. This is what people need to hear. We're not watering down the message by changing, I'm not watering down the message by changing my name or changing my clothing. What we are doing is saying, you know what, all this cultural stuff might get in the way of hearing the true gospel of Christ. I'm gonna tell you about a guy named David. Um, I'm going long, okay. All right, so this guy, David, Exactly 20 years ago this week, because we were in China when Hong Kong was taken over. I went, uh, I went not taken over, when, when the transition of power from British rule to Chinese rule was 20 years ago. We were there in China, and I was a, I was a student on campus, and I met this guy named David. And David was one of the smartest people you could ever imagine. And the first time I meet, and I'm like a 22-year-old, I don't know Chinese, I'm just walking around campus, you know, can you, you want to practice English? I meet this guy, and he looks at me, he says, do you know the meaning of life? And I'm, he says this in English. And I'm like, why'd you ask me that? And he says, because, you know, I, I was from a small village, I grew up very poor, I was really smart, I did everything I was supposed to, I just finished my PhD, 
and now I can't get a good job because my dad isn't powerful. And communism told me that my dad, I'd get a good job. So I'm just trying to figure out, maybe you're from another culture, maybe you know the meaning of life. And I was able to share the good news with him. I said, I'm sorry this happened to David. You know, he, he gave himself the English name David. He obviously had a Chinese name. But I said, I'm sorry this happened to you, David. But let me, I, I don't know. Here's where I find hope. The goal is to do everything we can to relate to people and understand them in their context and their circumstances so we can point them to Jesus. So my question is for us this morning. How is God calling you to become all things to all people so that by all possible means you might save some? And how can you not just seek your own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved? What, what can this look like for you in your everyday context? Um, so I want to give three teaching points that I believe will help. One, pray fast and let the Holy Spirit lead. Before they go, this, they leave Antioch and they go to Cyprus. Before Paul does anything, he prays, he fasts, he says, God, where are you leading me? You all know this. Next thing is remember that not everyone will be receptive, but keep loving people. Keep them focused on Christ. Keep sharing the good news. Paul and the early apostles didn't convert anyone, but they continued to love people. They loved the culture. They loved the city. They, they got engaged. And they, because of love, because Christ loved them, they loved others. And they just continually knew that not everyone would be receptive, but they continued to love and point people to Christ and proclaim the gospel. Third teaching point, remember that reaching and loving people is part of running the race. So if you notice in the passage earlier, we, we quote that running the race passage a lot, but we normally don't quote that in evangelism. We quote that more in, in kind of your personal walk with God. But Paul links the two together. He talks about being all things to all people, then he says run the race. I truly believe that running the race of, as a Christian involves sharing the gospel with others. The good news is really good news for you, it saved you, and it's saving others. So part of our job as a Christian is to continue to, to believe the good news and to share it with others. Today we're going to take communion, and when we, when we take that, the bread and the wine, we're, we're remembering what Jesus did for us. And when we go out and love others, we're, we're, we're remembering it and we're sharing it. None of you, if you watched a good movie, would not tell anybody. You go watch a great movie. When you watch it, you're going to tell somebody. You're not... Someone says, how was that movie? You're not going to be like, it was okay. If it was your favorite movie ever, you're going to tell somebody. And we have Jesus. So remember that running the race as a believer includes loving others and reaching others. Four application points that I, I see from Paul. Use your experience, education, and status to build God's kingdom and point people to Christ. This is a very educated area. We're a fairly educated church. Not everyone in this area is fairly educated, but... Wherever God has you, whatever experiences, whatever culture you came from, what neighborhood you live in, where you grew up, what college you went to, where your kids go to school, whatever, use all these things to love others and point them to Christ. Second one, look around and listen well. Your neighbors, your coworkers, your the stores you visit, where your children go to school, the gym, know the area, know the city. Paul, when he goes in, he, he, he says, I want to know these people. To truly love them, I want to know them. And then one thing in this, be yourself. Really, you can just, you don't have to change who you are. You might have to change your name. You might have to change the food you serve. But be yourself in this. 
Next thing, you're going to make mistakes. You might serve hot dogs to Muslims one time. That's okay. They'll for, if you really love them, they're going, to for, they're, they're going to be okay with it. They know they're in America. You know, you might talk to a neighbor who's a secular humanist or an atheist, and you might say something that offends them. Keep loving them. They'll see your life. They'll, they'll know. Keep loving them. But know you'll make mistakes. Keep trusting God. And the final thing is work within the body of Christ. You can't do everything where you can do something. So we talked about international student ministry. We're going to have big church events. I want all of you to come to that. But some of you may be like, you know what? This isn't for me. Some of you may be like, this is for me. There's international students all around us, but there's other people around us too. All of us as a body of Christ are going to be working to build God's kingdom. And we're going to be working within the body. So we're going to provide opportunities for you and spaces for you to see what you might be good at, what you might not be good at, and at the same time, to stretch your faith, to challenge you to reach others and to love others. All right, I'm going to pray. I, I kind of ran out of time, but um, God is good. He's working in us and through us. What is God asking you to do? Is it change your name? Is it talk to somebody? Is it learn more about a, your neighbors? Learn more about cultures around you? He's calling all of us to do something. Uh, let's, let's pray. God, I thank you for, uh, for Paul and his message that he, you, you changed his heart and you gave him a new heart. And he becomes the light to the Gentiles, the light that the Jews should have always been. God, you call us to do the same thing, to be a light where we are. Be with each person in here as they trust you. Show them what it means to be all things to all people so that some might be saved. God, we trust you. We thank you as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper. God, may we remember that you died. You, your blood was shed. Your body was broken so that we could be free, so that we could have new life. And we get to share that new life with others. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for calling us. Thank you for using us to build your body and your church. In your name we pray. Amen.